Welcome to Well Played Podcast, the podcast on all things playful and joyous. This podcast is committed to bringing you all things playful and joyous in the classroom. Uh, today I am joined with an old friend, Adam Powley, and we're going to be talking about gamification in pop culture. But before we do, I'd like this tremendous guest to introduce himself a bit. Well, hello, and uh, thanks for having me on yet again. Um, ah, I'm well, an American this, history teacher. This time it's yes, it's videotaped. It is videotaped. Yeah, that's right. Although, I had to make sure my ha- hair was done. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm an American history teacher in uh, South Carolina. Um, I host the Slow Chat XP Lab Camp. Uh, I write at ClassroomPowerUps.com, and uh, just generally a, a jack of all trades on this. And uh, father of three young boys now, so constantly busy. And super modest, because, I mean, Adam, you truly, like, add a ton to the gamification community. You are a powerhouse. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I, mean, I appreciate I, that. I love reading your blogs. I love your tweets you put out, like, daily about uh, different topics and ideas. And typically, too, yours always follow up with a blog post, which I just think... It's such a powerful way to use Twitter, right? Because like, mm-hmm. there's only so much you can put in the characters there, and it's awesome when you sort of tantalize somebody with an idea, but then it's like, and here's my blog post explaining it. That's that's truly helpful and beneficial to the community. Right. Well, blogging is is been more of a personal experience. Uh, surprise. I know this isn't about blogs, but uh, just being able to write out something every you know once every or twice every week. Uh, reflecting on what I'm doing and what I'm thinking at the time is it's really an interesting timeline. I can go back and see uh, what's what's happening uh, and where I've been and where I'm going. Nice. Well, there's an extra little tidbit for all you listeners there you out go. there. I mean, that's not what we're talking about today, but Adam's dropping some truth on you. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about pop culture. Um, this is kind of an interesting thing because you know I, I often tell people that gamification is kind of all around us. And here we're going to take kind of a dive and look at some pop culture references that really show clear examples of gamification kind of embedded in the norm here. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I think, have recently watched a movie. You were you were chatting with me before the show here. I, I did. I, I have a four-month-old, and I, am, uh, I took a month of paternity leave uh, after my wife's maternity leave was up, which outside of diaper changes and bottles and, and all there's, there's not a whole lot of like busy work. You just hold in the baby. Uh, so I got to catch up on some of my Netflix <laughs> and there's a movie from 2009 that I've been meaning to watch. Uh, it's called up in the air. Uh, it's got, it stars George Clooney and uh, a few other, I, I think, uh, Anna Kendricks is, is one of the stars. Uh, it won a bunch of awards. I'd wanted to see it and I was interested. And I'd say about 30 minutes into it, um, my mind was just racing because the the main character he flies for work he he travels from place to place and he's obsessed with collecting airline miles. I think at one point in the movie he says he doesn't spend a nickel in the airport unless it helps get him more frequent flyer miles. And not being much of a flyer myself, I didn't quite understand it until he started talking about uh, he he had a goal of miles in mind that he wanted to reach and and he was trying to be modest about it. And then 
about two thirds of the way through the movie, it comes out. He's trying to to reach 10 million miles. Only seven other people have reached the 10 million mile frequent flyer mark. Um, he's very proud of this fact that um, you get a, a very special silver card with your name engraved on it. You get to meet some important executive. Uh, they put your name on the side of a plane. And immediately I thought points, badges and leaderboards because the guy's life uh, was centered around collecting these points, which are the frequent flyer miles. Um, the, the movie's really interesting. I don't, should I give a spoiler warning? Uh, it's been out for, it, it's a 10 year old movie at this point. Um, he's developing a relationship with one woman who is just as superficial as he is, which is, you know, she's, it, it's a, a fling. It's, it's a love affair, but it's not really about love. Um, she's obsessed with collecting these points as well, you know, collecting miles. Um, and that, that relationship eventually falls apart. And as it's falling apart, he realizes that, uh, that the 10 million mile mark isn't really anything, which I thought was an interesting pop culture uh, statement on you know bad gamification mm-hmm. that if we're just collecting points to collect points um, I wrote a blog post about this that um, it's kind of like a Faustian bargain right you're you're always going to try to you have to reach the next level of points because once you hit that 10 million mile mark you know you're empty there's nothing left you need to set a new limit you need to, to try to earn more points um, the movie gave a really nice example of uh, a counterpoint to that which he's he became a mentor to somebody in his field uh, who has to fly around with him. Uh, and the movie's funny. He, he kind of pushes the frequent flyer miles on her. But over time, he realizes that's really empty and hollow. And um, he's accidentally made this really deep personal connection, that uh, relatedness element of, of internal motivation sure. that um, the, the movie ends with this totally unfulfilling moment where um, he finds inner peace by writing her a recommendation letter. Like it's, it's the opposite of all the superhero movies these days. Like there's no big battle at the end. He just writes a recommendation letter for somebody he mentored. And that shows like he finally found his, his internal motivation. And I thought that was a really nice counterpoint to the, that, that, uh, shallow points, badges and leaderboards element in this more deeper internal motivation, um, that this pop culture thing was, was just telling us, uh, steer away from the points so much and try to find those deeper meanings. Yeah, no, I like that. And I like that, uh, you know, on, on a surface service level points and leader badges or leaderboards and badges can give students or players, uh, like a goal. But like you said, I think we have to be careful on like what the goal is. So if, mm-hmm. if attached to those points, like frequent flyer, that's totally hollow. Like they're just a number attached to your flight or your credit card or whatever. But like if we map our gamification experiences to an to a uh, an experience that's super awesome, right? Like and and we just happen to like attach some points to that. I don't think that that's so bad, right? We can start to build the relationships that he found in that movie. Um I've never seen the movie, so You've totally, well, th- you've totally spoiled it for me. <laughs> I, I apologize for that. Um, no, and I've always felt the same way in gamification that it's it doesn't have to be in um, an either or situation. It, it should be a yes and situation. Yeah. Um, yes, we want to have points, but we also want to have the internal motivation. Um, that it's never uh, it, internal motivation is hard. It's it's deep and it's long term. So for that initial moment of of sort of inspiration to get somebody involved to get them interested and engaged 
um, that I think sort of the external motivators, the points, badge, leaderboards, the, the, the reward systems, that's kind of like the, the gateway into the deeper elements. Yeah. No, I mean, that's so true. And I, I think this is just a really good, like one example of gamification really like highlighted in pop culture, but, Mm -hmm. uh, there are plenty more that we could chat about. Uh, I mean, I think another, another one that I think is just clear example of gamification. I know a lot of teachers even use this as a base model for their class is actually the hunger games, right? There's oh yeah <laughs> in, inside the Hunger Games there is all sorts of gamification elements right you have sort of this tribal mentality this group mentality with the districts yeah each district is basically its own guild right they specialize in something and they have uh, sort of an internal uh, nationalism that that feeds into their selections. Yep. Uh, some even specialize in the games right isn't that some of the yep. uh, the ones that are closer to the, the city. Yep. And then like, just think about the competition itself, right? Like the game itself is a gamification component, right? Like, you know, and all the trappings that go with it, right? There's the game master that sort of, you know, pushes people towards certain things or makes like, oh, you're getting towards the edge. So we're going to have to like put something here to just force you to go back to the center. So we have this game master sort of element. The game master is also trying to make it interesting to watch. So it's not just like, oh, they're about to leave the park, so let's put something here. He also has to make it entertaining for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that's a neat example. I, I think there's uh, an element you've talked about before, too, where it's okay to kind of tweak the rules as you go. Mm-hmm. Like the, um, Isn't there one moment where they're getting too close to the edge so they start shooting fireballs at people? Yep. Like, that would be a really interesting game mechanic too, right? You're 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 getting too close to your your next level, so let's give you a little bit of a challenge. Here's fireballs, not not literal fireballs, but you know something to that respect uh, to to make it a little bit tougher if you're going a little bit too uh, quickly. No, I mean I like it, right? And and just this idea that reminding us that we are in control of our game. So the game serves us, and it serves the students, and it serves our curriculum. Uh, we don't serve it. So, you know, if you want to like change it or if you feel like you need some sort of pop of excitement or engagement or if you need it to be double the challenge, like you can change any of those things to your game. If if we're talking about designing a big game, I think a mm. lot of like that kind of advice, that kind of thought doesn't matter as much if you're only doing like a two week unit or something. You can kind of let your game mechanic just play out. The well, the Hunger Games also gives us the uh, their, their selection process that it can be randomized. Uh, people can volunteer. Um, volunteers tend to be a lot more interested in the outcomes. So I mean, those are all important elements of a little two-week lesson, too. And then I liked the uh, sort of the, the, what do they call them, the little parachute-dropped items. Yeah, what were those? That, but uh, yeah, item drops. Item and, drops uh, or care packages. I don't know what they were called, but like, Peter needed like, some ointment for his legs, so yep, it came and, like, through a little. Like, but people could like people would have to kind of like phone in and pay for those. Like it was kind of this interesting game mechanic that you know you could help this player in this active, competitive system. You could kind of drop them this little special thing, but it it came at a cost. You know, like that mm-hmm. somebody had to pony up for that. So. 
you know, an interesting mechanic that we could use possibly, you know, kind of like a phone a friend on a test or maybe some sort of boss battle and you see your buddy getting hammered in there, you know, would you be willing to spend some of your gold within the realm to buy him a care package to drop in there? Like, ooh, that's an interesting, interesting element. Oh, yeah, that was actually the, the very mechanic I was just thinking of, too, that how do you help your friends? Um, Andrew Markuski has uh, his his uh, player type Hexad, and uh, that would fit right in with the uh, the, the philanthropist type where uh, you're the healer You in, in a, an RPG. You, you want to help the other people in your group more than earn your own points. Yes, yeah. that's, that's that's cool. No, I mean, like, gosh, this, there's just so many. I Also, too, before we leave the Hunger Games, I love the idea of the cornucopia, right? This like, oh, like it's just. <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. It's just like so full of like everything you need, but the odds are if you run towards it, you die. So I did something similar to that to start my year this year where uh, we did a little breakout game to start. I may have talked about this before. And uh, the, when the kids opened up the breakout, it, it took like 10 minutes to open up the box and it was full of candy. So they had a choice. They could either take a piece of candy oh, or get, one. get one of my random item cards. And not one kid took a piece of candy. Like that was just such an interesting little but uh, then, twist. But then you told me that they were later like, so what would you do with all that candy? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I gave it away to the teachers. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, let's think of some other pop culture references. Um, well, I have a biggie in mind, but I want to come to that in a minute. Um, the movie Up. The Disney movie Up. Um, I love that one. Um, it, first of all, it's such an emotional movie. But um, the the whole impetus of the movie Up was when the, the, the Boy Scout was trying to go talk to Carl because he needed to get a badge. And badging is such a big part of uh, gamification. Boy. Oh, and the Boy Scouts. And the Boy Scouts, which I guess the Boy Scouts were gamified before gamifying was cool. That's right. Um yeah, so that's that's the thing that triggers off this whole storyline is the boy is trying to get a badge and you kind of feel like he's going through the motions like he didn't really care about, you know, helping the guy out. He was just trying to collect the badge. And then by the end of the movie, they've had all these series of adventures and um, the badge that the kid really cares about is the badge that that Carl gives him that they used to be uh, is Ellie, his wife. Yep. Um that's the one that matters to the kid because there's so much behind the badge, which is something I think that we forget sometimes. Uh, at least I do sometimes. When I'm giving out badges that it's not about the badge. It's not about the sticker. That's that's a physical throwaway. It's it's the the meaning of whatever happens to get to that badge. I'm gonna go ahead and say I don't forget that because like that is like I mean literally in one of my presentations that's exactly what I do. I mean I I say that that Boy Scouts. Like, we would never say Boy Scouts is just that club where you get badges. We understand that in the Boy Scouts, every one of those badges represents some sort of unique experience, some sort of, you know, like, challenge they worked through, some sort of growth that they had, you know. So we understand mm -hmm. that those badges are merely just, like, symbols of a larger thing that was, like, powerful in that child's life. Uh, so when we gamify our classes, I definitely try to, like, warn people, like, don't treat them like stickers. I mean, like recognize that the, these you're not just tossing out stickers at kids you're, you're tossing out a symbol of something that they completed something that they grew from something that they got better from and that then becomes a crazy meaningful like portfolio 
wherever you put it, whether you use a digital one like Classcraft or um, I do all mine physical and it's taped to their binders. But like mm -hmm. that becomes just, like I said, like a portfolio that, that that's that's a pride point for them because they understand what's behind those. Yeah, I do a similar thing. They We give stickers and they're allowed to put them on their one-to-one -one laptops. And um, yeah, it, I agree. When it has the meaning behind it, you know, they, they show them off as a, is a symbol of, you know, the, the effort and the work that it took to get that. My, um, my students this year really like, I've, I've come out with two series of badges where the, like it did something if you got all three of them, they were still good to have if you had one of them or two of them, but if you had three of them, it sort of unlocked an ability. Um, that's been kind of a new element that my students have really enjoyed. I think we're on the same track. I, I did a similar thing too. Um, in order to get to the the special, uh, get access to the special uh, uh, event, uh, like a breakout game or some special puzzle, they had to earn uh, certain badges to get there. So yeah. So for mine, it was uh, we just finished studying Rome, and mm -hmm. it, on the adventure path, they, those are always like high risk, high reward. If they, I had three learning targets attached to it. If you got a three or higher, three or four on the learning, each learning target, you got one of these badges. And the, I themed the badges around the triumvirate of Rome, the three like powerful allegiance that was formed. So, you know, you got the Pompey Magnus, the Carassus badge, and the Julius Caesar badge. If you got all three, you formed the triumvirate. And nice. what, uh, what it did, which was actually really big because we're near the end of the game all my badges are worth points and the points range from one to nine. And then I put them into like a multiplier so that it ends up being a lot of points. But when we add up all their badges, if you got the three, it made every badge plus two points, which is a, that's a huge game changer. If the point value is only one through nine. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's a lot of kids that were super excited to get that. Like those three. Cool. I'm, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm working on a similar thing. I'm, I'm trying to figure out um, little little skirmish battles instead of quizzes. And um, being a history class, uh, I think that the little badge they're going to get is a card with a historical figure on it. So like you've released Alexander Hamilton from his enchantment. Uh, so he's become your ally. And if you can get three or four together at one time, you earn some sort of a multiplier in the big boss battle at the end. So... Nice. Um, Keep me posted on that one. That's yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. I'm I'm right in the middle of figuring this out. So now you said you, you had a big pop culture reference. Just oh, the one that the, the we've I kept it to the end. Yeah, um, you really. You, it's like... I I think our target demographic is going to be very familiar with uh, Harry Potter <laughs> and uh, the House Cup, right? Um, and I don't know how you feel about the House Cup in the Harry Potter movies. I think it's complete rubbish. Um, <laughs> and, and I know I'm probably going to get some, some, some feedback flat. on yeah. that one. Um, but in the movie it's, it's, oh, or even in the books, it's a horribly designed gamified system. I mean, imagine you're Slytherin and you've gotten all the way through the semester and you're think that you've just about won the house cup. And all of a sudden the principal stands up and says, no, no. You didn't win because we like Harry Potter and his friends better, and they're going to get 50 points for this and 50 points for that, just out of nowhere. Um, 
<laughs> I thought the house cup was really um, an oddly designed system. Well, um, it's does it is it a cautionary tale for us who I, I think maybe like do we and do I we, I've been I'm sorry go ahead do we I mean do we take that lesson that like we have to be careful not to sort of in the board game world the terms king making like we can't just sort of decide our favorites and just sort of make that happen you know uh, mm -hmm. you know like if naturally Slytherin's gonna win. You know, I'm sorry, Harry Potter. Like you, you should have done a few more good things throughout the semester. Uh, the the wizard chess thing just got to me. Nobody saw the game of wizard chess. <laughs> you know, standing up to your friends, really, that you're getting points for that. How do we put that into the uh, the points rubric? And um, but I think Harry Potter actually gives a fantastic uh, um, gamified system, but it doesn't come until later when. Um, see, the house cup was was designed by adults trying to manipulate the behavior of the students. I thought, right? It's that's what the uh, the principal thought would be a good way. But when we get to the later books, it's Dumbledore's army. Right? If you think about Dumbledore's army, that's a perfect gamified experience. They're choosing to join this club by themselves. Are, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah. Uh, but. Harry organizes this thing. He's the uh, the leader. Um, the kids volunteer to join. They practice mastery, right? They're trying to master their skills. They're not getting any grades for it. They're not getting any points for it. Um, they know that they're going to be using it. They have a purpose behind it um, because they're trying to, to defend Hogwarts. They're trying to defend themselves. They're trying to step up. Um, there's a relatedness to it. Like all these intense bonds are formed uh, in this whole uh, situation. I, I, I think that's really the ideal situation that um, they're all there because the House Cup got them there. Um, it, the, in the first couple of books, they, they started forming those relationships under the, that external motivator system. But Dumbledore's army is really the, the internal motivation that, that um, shows just how powerful that could be. Um, I have to, I think it's, I have to look up somebody while, while you comment back. I mean, I think that uh, Harry Potter just inside the movie itself, I mean, shows us again just kind of that power of having a clan, having a group, whether it be his like just inner circle of friends or, you know, being part of a house team, even though the system not so perfect. Uh, I mean, it really can show you that sort of connected nature and the strength of being together to being one. And the other comment I wanted to say just about Harry Potter is true for probably just about any sort of adventure hero story is sort of that power of an outside force, something that bonds us all together as we fight the evil, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that like, that's something I don't know if I infuse enough in my game. Like I, like, I don't have enough, like... I mean, I have these boss battles that happen, but... I haven't really fully developed the storyline where you really feel like, I don't know, I'm thinking something like Star Wars, where you like just know this evil empire is there and it's kind of always marching towards us. Or like uh, Thanos in the Avengers, something like that. Yeah, like I don't have yeah. that. So that would be like something to develop. But um, I like this notion of thinking about gamification a little bit like the hero's journey, right? That you mm -hmm. have this sort of, call to adventure that the the students are asked to go on and that there's going to be some sort of problem that they're going to overtake 
Uh, there's there's usually like a helper that like comes along to sort of help the adventurer out. Uh, I mean, I love it. And then there's like that low point in the story where just it seems bleak. It seems impossible for the good guy to win. But then they're you know they 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 battle out of that. Yeah, the uh, the was the 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 road of trials. I think. Uh, just kind of just perfectly uh, exemplifies what we're trying to get the kids to do. That failure is okay. You just yeah. got to keep bouncing back from it. Um, I want to shout out to uh, Alicia Woody at Super Evans Math. She's the one we've been having a conversation about uh, the the Harry Potter stuff. Um, she pointed out, you know, kind of the house cup was was problematic, and I was like, you know, you're right. Um, and I I thought about that before too. I do think that the guilds and houses and and sort of having a competition between them that's awesome. Um, but I think that the point structure has to be sort of open and transparent because otherwise it does feel like that idea of kingmaker that you're talking about. No, you so be careful. I'm I'm walking back my Harry Potter criticism a little bit. Um, he's, he's nervous. He's nervous. I, you, I am. I, you I, listeners I, out there are gonna snipe him. I've I've seen uh, some of the Twitter comments when people take on J.K. Rowling. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think it's a really interesting conversation to have about that. Yeah, no, Harry Potter is a really huge example of, I mean, we could pick apart a lot. I mean, even just some of the things with inside it, right? Like, they have the Quidditch match, Quidditch match right? Like, even even that, that there's this, like, gamified element with inside the game itself, and those earn points. Like, yep. whew, and status. I mean, definitely sports itself earn status. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about theme a little while ago, trying to like organizing that big bad theme, you know, having some sort of an outside element. Uh, the one thing that I, I love about uh, the Harry Potter books is um, the the world building that it does. Like Rowling sets up the rules of the world, and for the most part, they're consistent throughout like the seven books. Um, you know, the the Wingardium Leviosa works the same in book one as it does in book seven. You know, and um, the limits are always there. The limits are mostly the same. And I, I find that, um, in some book series, like the powers change over time and like what is good in book one doesn't happen in book like seven. Um, so I think when I, when I build my theme for my class, that's what I'm always thinking about too. Am I setting rules that make sense for the world? And then does it, uh, apply throughout the entire semester? Does it play out correctly? Like, am I making a new item that ruins the internal logic of the first semester? Because if it does, then it's not really a very uh, helpful item to me. Yeah, I will say, just for those still listening, that uh, <laughs> I think... After I've offended them all with my Harry Potter <laughs> That's <date>. right. <laughs> um, I, I do want to say, like, I have played around with... So mine's a year-long game, and... I definitely do have items that become more powerful. I won't say that they like undermine the first semester or whatever, but if you knew in first semester that these items existed, you would not be excited about first semester items. Right. Does that make sense? Like they don't break (laughs) the old items, but you know, like my first sword gives you like five BP and I just, last week gave somebody the Athenian Navy card, which is worth 200 BP, right? So like clearly like who cares about five BP when you could have 200 BP. But, um, I also do this as a like crescendo moment. Like everything gets bigger for me at the end. Like 
points on side quests get bigger, items get bigger. And I always tell the kids why I do that is because now is when it's the hardest, right? It's like the end of the year. You kind of want to give up. It's getting warm here in Wisconsin. Like, you know, these kids don't want to do another side quest anymore, right? So I say, like, those of you that dig deep and, like, still battle to that bitter end, it's going to be worth more than it was when it was week one of school, when like we had infinite time left to still win this game. This is you like, can always just put it off to the next day. Next yeah. day, next now, day. Like now, these now are, it's crunch time. Crunch time. We're down to only so many days. So I, I like that mentality. Um, but I mean, geez, there's just I mean, we're we're at the end here, but there are so many other pop culture references we could have. I was actually going to bring up Shakespeare just as like. Romeo and Juliet or, you know, like any of that stuff. Like, and I know that's older pop culture. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I spoiled that for, for some of my students the other day, they were reading uh, Romeo and Juliet in, in their English class. And I said, isn't it, you know, amazing that they, you know, let you read a book where the, you know, teenagers commit suicide at the end. And then Mr. Powley spoilers. <laughs> like, are you serious? <laughs> you didn't know how Romeo and Juliet ended. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I, I was surprised. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted your list. What other? No, I was just gonna say like I know that's an old like old pop culture reference, but the point mm-hmm. is like these things are tried and true. So sometimes when we talk about gamification and people are like, I don't want to try this, like it seems too out there, it seems too crazy. Like these themes, these these emotions we're evoking have been around forever, and we're just applying it to our classroom. So. Give it a shot, people. Give it a shot. Absolutely. So this brings us to our reflection time. And we have an interesting quote here by... Oh, I'm going to mess up the guy's name. It's okay. Do the best you can. <laughs> it's by John Padhorowitz. Uh, he is, his quote here about pop culture is, Pop culture is a reflection of social change not a cause of social change. So how does that hit you? I think that uh, when we watch TV or when we watch a movie or read a book, oftentimes it's telling us about ourselves now. And it's not, it's not trying to train us to do something in the future. Um, In history, we talk about this a lot. Like if you read an old textbook from like the 40s or 50s, that's going to tell you more about the 40s or 50s than it does about the actual history that they're trying to teach in the 40s or 50s. Um, You know, I I had a a, somebody gave me a book one time, a, a textbook from the 40s, and I was just kind of appalled by you know, the treatment of, say, Reconstruction and, and the, the language used against the, the freedmen and stuff. So I, it, w- it was teaching me a lot about that time period. And I, I think pop culture is kind of the same way. Um, when I watched the, to bring it back to the beginning, when I was watching the Up in the Air movie, it was, it was um, made in 2009. And uh, the references were all about the, the stock market crash. And it was about uh, the, you know, fear of uh, job loss, um, about the fear of technology coming in and taking over. Um, so I think that it, it reflects what's happening in the moment and it's not forcing people to change into the moment um, to apply that to education. I, I think that that is also where we are with, say, something like ed tech, where the educational tools that we have are reflecting sort of what society thinks we should have and not necessarily um, 
training us for what we need for tomorrow. So uh, it's time to consider that it's a tool and not just uh, uh, not not something that is going to save our our system or solve all of our problems. Nice. For me, the reference. Uh, well, I would echo almost all the same points you made, but to add sort of one other spin, I would just say that pop culture is a reflection of social change, not the cause of social change. I'd like to just sort of think that gamification is kind of a reflection of where our students are at and like love it or hate it. I mean, like this is the gamer generation and I just think we're going to continue to beat ourselves in the head here if we don't recognize sort of our clientele and design instruction, meaningful instruction, powerful instruction with the help of this pop culture sort of phenomenon right now and that that being a, a more playful attitude towards towards challenges. I don't even want to say towards school or learning. I mean, it's just these these guys like it when it's presented in a challenge format, in a, in a game format. Well, in some of it, it's the language they speak, too. Um, I, I had students that after I'd bring something into class, uh, some game mechanic, they'd say, oh, you played Skyrim last night, didn't you? I was like, yes, I did. How did you know that? So, Which uh, is another it, tip for all of you out there. Yeah. Like, play a game or two, whether it's a board game, card game, app, or, you know, otherwise, try, try playing them and you're going to get a mountain full of ideas for your classroom. So I refer to it as game inspiration. That's so. right. Well, unfortunately that ends our time here. Uh, thank you very much, Adam, for coming on to the show again. I love having you on the show. Well, thank you for having me on here and, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. An interesting topic today. And all of you out there, thank you very much for listening uh, and being part of the well-played community. Uh, don't forget to check out explorelikeapirate.com for all sorts of more blogs, blogs, podcasts, whatnot. Also check out hashtag XPLAP on Tuesday at 9 Central Standard Time. That is our weekly Twitter chat. And then Mr. Pauly here runs XPLAP Camp, which is a week-long slow chat which is great that you can just sort of dive into and sort of work on this question throughout the week so check that out uh and as always love for you to check out my new youtube channel youtube.com slash mr matero uh finished my five for five challenge this week it was pretty awesome i'd love to see some of you guys try it out so check out hashtag five for five i've given you enough things to check out here in the end i apologize <laughs> but uh Thanks for listening. It's always an honor having you guys. Uh, take care. Until next week. <laughs>